This podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. Nerd Wallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending. Some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, everyone. I'm Katie Couric, and welcome to Next Question. That's right. I'm back with a whole new season. And there is truly no one better or more fun to start with than Billy Eichner. Everyone's like, are you having fun? Are you having fun? Are you having fun? I'm like, uh, I'm trying. (laughs) Billy's probably best known for creating and hosting the hilarious, random, and sometimes aggressively acerbic show, Billy on the Street. Miss, for a dollar, name a woman. Name a woman? Yeah. Um. Who? Who? No, name a woman. If you haven't seen it, it was a cult hit from back in the 2010s where Billy quizzes unsuspecting strangers and sometimes his famous friends around New York City. Name a woman! Name a woman! Billy has also appeared in a slew of comedies on the small and big screen, including most recently the meerkat character Timon in Disney's remake of The Lion King. I've got it. What if he's on our side? Hear me out! Having a ferocious lion around might not be such a bad idea. Well, then can we keep him? Yes, of course we can keep him! Well, My what? God, who is the brains of this operation? And now, Billy has written and stars in the first gay rom-com from a major movie studio. This historic boy meets boy story is called Bros, and Billy plays the professionally driven but emotionally unavailable Bobby. I don't think I'm his type. How do you know? Because I know. He told me he likes country music and his favorite singer is Garth Brooks. What kind of gay man says his favorite singer is Garth Brooks? That scares me. Plus, I see the guys he likes. They all look exactly like him. They're all these, like, big, hot, straight-acting dudes. It's just not me. Well, is he a top or bottom? What does that have to do with anything? Maybe you're both bottoms and that's a problem. I'm not always the bottom, Edgar. Oh my God. Gay sex was more fun when straight people were uncomfortable with it. Well, I am super proud of you, Billy. It is a big deal. I know you're feeling the pressure of it too, but you know, there have been storylines about gay couples and gay dating before. I'm thinking about Right. Looking Right was on HBO. And even more in the mainstream, you have Modern Family. And there's a whole panoply of shows that is kind of that have tackled this. But 
This is a really big deal, this movie. And I want you to explain why it is and why it's different than the things that have been done before. Well, all of those things are, all of those shows you mentioned are, are classics and there are many others too. And there's, there's also a whole, I mean, decades of indie films um, that I grew up watching because that was often the only places you would find gay love stories and, and really the only places you would find gay love stories written and directed by other LGBTQ people. Um, and I went to see all of those movies in movie theaters and I was lucky. I grew up in New York, so I had access to them. Um, and, and bros would not be here without all of those happening for, for decades. You know, that's where like the ground was laid, you know, to, to lead up to something, um, like bros where you have a major studio in universal, you know, the same studio that makes these huge franchise films like Jurassic park and fast and the furious and minions and all these global phenomenons who are putting their support, um, behind an R rated romantic comedy about a gay male couple. Right. And not only that, but the entire cast of the movie, save for a couple of quick celebrity cameos, everyone is an openly LGBTQ actor or actress, even in the straight roles, which you really never see. Um, and I also think that although there are many, many wonderful LGBTQ centric films and TV shows, obviously, that we've all been watching on streaming services for, for years, for me, you know, there is something that is special about going to the movie theater. Um, and I think people have forgotten how much fun it is and how magical it is and how uplifting it is to go watch a great romantic comedy in a movie theater. And straight or gay, we just don't get many movies like that anymore. And I grew up in the 80s, 90s, we had so many great romantic comedies and I loved them so much. And those were movies that made me fall in love with movies. They made me want to be in Hollywood. You know, I, I pretty woman and moonstruck and when Harry met Sally and Annie Hall and working girl and broadcast news and all the Nora Ephron movies. I mean, I went to see all of them with my parents. I can tell you exactly what movie theater I was in for many of them. I still remember you know, and I also went to see action movies and superhero movies and all that stuff, too. I was a kid. But these those are the movies that really stay with many of us for years. And we don't get many of them anymore. We've never gotten many of them about a gay couple. And so, you know, these are the reasons why bros is special and, you know, more than your average comedy. You know, it is it is an event. It's we haven't gotten something like this. And. And also on top of it, the main thing is that I hope, I think it's really funny. You know, we, we, Nick Stoller and Judd Apatow and I, we never sat down and said, let's make a historic movie or, you know. Right, right. We said, let's break some barriers here. Yeah, no, we didn't even know we were doing that. We didn't know who would buy the movie or sell the movie or distribute the movie, you know, at the beginning of the process. And we just said, let's make a hilarious movie. Judd and Nick have a long history of making some of the funniest movies of the past 20 years, Bridesmaids and 40 year old virgin and knocked up and forgetting Sarah Marshall and all these amazing movies that we all love. But this one happens to be like that, but about a gay couple and with LGBTQ actors. And that's really exciting. And, 
So there's a lot about it that I think is going to feel new to people while also giving them that classic rom-com experience that we all love. There's so much I want to cover with you, Billy. And and one of those is why aren't there more rom-coms? I mean, I know that the the movie industry is really obsessed with these global blockbusters that can be translated into a lot of languages. My nephew's a director and he explained to me a few years ago that's why action films are so desirable because you don't have a lot of dialogue and you don't have to translate it. And it's <laughs> right. not like it's not like, you know, culturally you have to really help people understand sort of the nuances of relationships, et cetera. Is that why we just don't see that many rom-coms now being produced by these big movie studios? I, I think there's probably a few different reasons for it. Judd Apatow recently put it best when he said, Years ago, you had romantic comedies that were big hits, you know, including many of his movies, and they would make a profit. They would make money when they worked. However, somewhere along the way, studios realized that on a big franchise film, they wouldn't just make a profit. They wouldn't just make $100 million. They could make a billion dollars. And then they could make another billion on the sequel and an even more and the, and the toys and the this and the that. And, right. All the know, merchandise, the merchandise. And, and like you say, those movies play well internationally, like that material is, a you know, translates more easily, maybe. Whereas, you know, a romantic comedy might be culturally specific, as, as they say. But but I maintain <laughs> that. There is nothing wrong with superhero movies. I love those too. Nothing wrong with big franchise movies. And they're keeping the movie going business alive. So we have to give them credit for that. However, people have forgotten how much fun it is to go to a movie theater with your friends or on a date or even by yourself and just laugh out loud for two hours. And we live in such a bleak world. It's such a cynical world. And look, I'm a New Yorker. I'm a native New Yorker. I'm cynical. But we need movies that make us laugh and that make us feel good. You know, Bros is laugh out loud funny and it's really hopeful and it's uplifting. It is honest. It's not like everything's so hunky-dory. You know, we wanted it to be real, but it really leaves you feeling good. It's an emotional experience. And again, to see it in a movie theater, there's a unique sort of power to that because you really escape the world it's a communal experience. You get swept away. It's also You're not a- watching it on two screens. You're not distracted. There's that oh. communal aspect that is yeah. so fun when you're watching something and with people with complete strangers, you have this sense of community and and oneness that is so missing in our culture. So I agree with you. I mean, I haven't gone to many movie theaters since COVID, Billy, and I miss it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm telling you, and this is just the truth, and it's weird to say about my own movie, but, you know, we've had a ton of test screenings of bros because that's part of the process when you're making a major studio film. And those test screenings happen in real movie theaters, big multiplexes all over the country, New York, L.A., Chicago. And I went to all of them um, because I wanted to see what the reaction was. And especially for the first few, because I hadn't gone back to the movies a lot at that point. This was earlier this year. I even for me, I I had forgotten how much fun it is, you know, to to see a movie like this and laugh with other people. You know, we're so used to watching things alone in our house. And there's a lot of great things to watch alone in your house. But it is it's not the same experience. One doesn't negate the other. But this it is a magical thing 
to go and sit in the dark and be swept away by a movie like this and people leave and they just feel good. You know, it's, it's just, it's a different type of experience. It's, it's unique. And, you know, it's why people go to the theater even, you know, it's, um, there's something bigger than life about it. And what, and this is going to sound a little cheesy, but it really has been my experience watching bros. When you're watching a movie at home, even on the biggest flat screen TV, you kind of lose that childlike sense of wonder that you have when you can get lost in the movies in a movie theater, you know, and stare up at the big screen. And that's the experience that we really wanted to give people in addition to making them laugh a lot. And I I have to believe that people still want that experience, you know. Before we get too far into Billy's current successes, I couldn't help but dig into his past. More with Billy Eichner right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I have to tell you, I know your parents are no longer with us, but even reading about you, Billy, I fell in love with your mom and dad. Yeah. Because it sounds as if you grew up in such a happy household. It sounds as if your parents were so much fun They took you to all these movies. They took you to see Barbara Streisand. They took you to Broadway. I guess somebody gave them a hard time about your dad, about taking you to a Madonna concert. And (laughs) somebody basically, he he said it just very matter of factly, she's a a great performer, right? (laughs) And, and, And this was in Forest Hills, New York. You were, you were born in 1978. And they sound as if they were just completely and utterly supportive of you in every way. Um, and, and it made me wonder, did they know sort of immediately or did they get the sense that because everything I've read about you, Billy, there hasn't been like a moment where you said, mom and dad, I'm gay or anything like that. Was that just something that they sensed and accepted from the get go? Or how did that enter the whole sort of dynamic of your family? Well, I did have to come out to them as everyone you know, as, as you usually do, even though I, I had a feeling they knew I was gay from a young age. Um, but you still have to come out, you know, I mean, I guess you don't have to, but, uh, I, well, you know, I didn't know they, they seem so cool. They might've even said, Hey, are, you know, Billy, we, we have this, you know, idea that you you might be gay and that's cool with us. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's funny that you say that Katie, because, the way I came out to my parents, it was, they were so supportive. And look, it was, I had a very happy childhood. Of course they were human beings and they were flawed and it wasn't perfect by any means. But um, when it came to me, they really loved me so unconditionally. And, 
And especially knowing, and this is back in the 80s, it wasn't necessarily the norm for the parents of a child who seemed like he was most likely a gay kid to just have that unconditional love without hesitation. You know, I mean, I don't think people remember how different it was back then. You know, it's almost shocking when you think about it. But, you know, certainly for me growing up, Billy, and then even for you in the 80s and 90s, it was a very different culture. It was. And remember, I was a child in New York at the height of the AIDS epidemic. So which as a child, of course, I only could understand to a certain degree. And this was long before I was saying I was gay, but my parents certainly understood it. Um, And, you know, I'm I'm sure they had fears around that in terms of my gayness at that time. But even so, they they never put a stigma on it. You know, um, of course, they wanted me to be happy and they were worried for any number of reasons, you know, about my well-being. But um They were so great. And I really think that they're the reason why a movie like Bros can happen for me personally. And why, maybe not specifically this movie, but they're why I was able to stick with it for so long, you know, especially in the lean years. You know, my my mom died when I was 20, about six months after I came out to her. Um, She was just 54 and she had a heart attack. And that was so young. I was, I was, I was really young. And getting back to your story, though, about coming out, which happened for me, like I said, I think it was, yeah, about six months before she died. Um, she, they came out to, to, I went to Northwestern. I was a theater major um, and I did a lot of musicals and they came to see me. I was playing Mr. Mushnick in Little Shop of Horrors, which is not even the lead. And they still flew from New York to see me in it. Um, and we went to dinner the next night in Evanston, Illinois, where Northwestern is. And out of nowhere, my mom out of nowhere said, so are you dating anyone, boy, girl, whatever. And that was, and I said, I remember looking down being like, oh God, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) Here we go at the Davis street fish market, which is the restaurant (laughs) we were eating in. Um, and I said, no, mom, I'm not dating anyone. And then we were going home from that dinner and I, my dad was driving me back to my apartment and I said, okay, pull over. And I, he did. And I said, as it turns out, I'm gay. And, uh, um, and you did know, they say knock me over with a feather. No, you know, they said it was an emotional moment. Even when you all know, it's still like, there's such a weight being lifted off of right. everyone's shoulders that has probably been carried around for years, you know? And at one point I did say to them, I was like, guys, like, you know, you knew, right. You know, I was like, you took me to Barbra Streisand concerts and you took me to Bette Midler at Radio City Music Hall. And you took me to every Madonna concert. And my father, classic Jay Eichner said, we discussed the possibility. <laughs> um, and, um, but they were great. And then he, I do have a half brother who I didn't really grow up with, but my dad's first uh, child from his first marriage. And, and, you know, we are in each other's lives, but he was older than me. So we didn't grow up together. And my dad's next question was, is your brother gay? And I said, no, he's not gay at all. But my brother had, it was the late nineties and he was a, he was a photographer and he had dyed his hair peroxide blonde just to be like hip, 
you know, and my dad and I, my dad said, is your brother gay? And I said, no, dad, Steve is not gay. And he said he dyed his hair blonde. And I was like, yeah, that's not that's not a, a reason he's might be gay. Um, and, and they were and then from then on, they were great. And um, and then, yeah, my mom died uh, six months after that. And but my dad, I did have an older dad, so he died about 10 years ago, but he was 80 already. He had me later in life. He was older than my mom. Um, but even my dad, you know, because I was in my early 30s at that point and I kept having brushes with success. Like I kept, you know, I would get a pilot, but I wouldn't get picked up or, mm -hmm. you know, it was I was getting close, but no cigar. And everyone was telling me, oh, I'm so talented and this and that and it's going to happen. But, you know, it's it's cute in your 20s and in your 30s, you start to worry. Right. But, and my dad did start to worry more, too. But even when he was worried, he always he always at the end of the day said, you have to keep going. You have to stick with it. He just really believed in me. And it must be pretty bittersweet to, you know, here you've got this major movie release happening yeah. and, um, you know, you must wish that they could be here to celebrate with you. I wish they were here. I'd love to I, meet them. <laughs> they were. Yes, of course I do. Yeah. I mean, I just, you know, it. it's comforting to know, though. I mean, you can dwell on the sad part of it. Um, but it, but honestly, whenever I think about them, I, you know, not that I'm not sad because of course I am. And I wish they were here to, to see all of this, but I'm just feel so lucky, you know, like as, as an adult, I have even more of an, you know, I was like a kid and, you know, didn't always right. appreciate it all. And I was just like, mom, stay away from me and all that, you know, I was a teenager and all that. But looking back, like, I always think, God, I'm so lucky. And, and the reason for all of my success fundamentally is how supportive they were um, and how much they encouraged me. And that's really the reason I was I was able to hold on for so long and, and get to this moment. I wanted to ask you about your early career, because as you said, it took you a while to get your mojo and you weren't really um, bullied. I know that you've said it's because you were tall and kind of an imposing guy. And, you know, <laughs> you didn't face a lot of uh, a lot of I don't think it sounds like it. People being mean. Yes, there was the occasional comment here and there. But but as you started to go into show business and after you graduated from Northwestern, you found there were some pretty significant obstacles for a young gay man trying to make it in the entertainment business. What what were those exactly, Billy? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, again, I, I was lucky as a kid. There were comments and there were bullies and things, but it never got too extreme. And for some reason, I was always able to shake it off. Again, probably had a lot to do with my parents. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. And, and also the culture I was exposed to at the time and the fact that I grew up in New York City. So even though I grew up in well, Queens. Well, Forest Hills, not exactly New oh, York Oh, excuse City. me. Queens is a borough of New York City, all right? <laughs> okay. um, but my But my parents would take me into the city, as we called it, all the time. <laughs> and we would go into Manhattan. And, and, you know, I think that that exposed me to so much that I could shake off, you know, the bully at my local school because I knew there was a much bigger world out there for me. Um, however... Interestingly enough, it's when I got into that bigger world, specifically Hollywood and the entertainment industry in my 20s, as I started to 
develop a fan base and TV execs were coming to see my live comedy show in New York. And that's where the Billy on the street video started as part of that show. And, and I was getting a lot of attention, but that's also the place where I really experienced homophobia for the first time in, in my life. It was professionally, you know, it wasn't physical, you know, one was beating me up physically, but there were the things that people said, overt things, more subtle things. There was a TV executive when we first sold Billy on the street at the first cable network it was on, which was a very obscure network. But um, I wrote this silly little Billy on the street jingle for it. And to this day, like the fans sing the song and it's like, you know, it's a silly little thing. But it started with a whistle that I guess kind of sounded a little disco-y. And the executive said to me, you know, that can't be your theme song. This isn't Logo. And Logo being the gay network. Right. You know? and, and, and but I mean, little things like that. It was just so annoying to have to fight those battles. But then bigger things where I had a manager in 2006, a very successful manager, um, a, a straight woman in New York City who had a lot of Broadway clients, you know, a very, uh, which is obviously has a, you know, has a ton of LGBTQ folks in that community. And, and she said to me, and she considered herself a very gay friendly person and an ally and an advocate, but she wanted me to be able to really break through in a mainstream way. And she said to me, can you make your show a little less gay this month? Because I'm bringing agents from William Morris, you know, and I had, there was a, an executive at Comedy Central back then Back then, there were two huge platforms to try to break through as a comedian on TV, SNL obviously, right. and Comedy Central, right? These are the days of The Daily Show with Jon Stewart and, uh, and Colbert's show. And you know, if you got a show on Comedy Central, you could really go to the next level. And I went in and pitched a, a show to Comedy Central where I was going to be playing a gay man and... Um, the head of Comedy Central at that time, who always claimed to be a big fan of mine, said, well, I think you're hilarious. I think you're brilliant. In his words, we obviously can't do that here, but I think you should go to Bravo and you'll have a home run. Right. Because Bravo being at that time, the net, the, one of the only networks that you know regularly had gay men on, but but they didn't do comedy and they didn't do scripted comedy and they didn't do anything as subversive that I, you know, I, I I wasn't trying to do a reality show. Literally, yeah. he thought, oh, you're gay? Go to the gay ghetto on Bravo and maybe they'll have you because I'm not going to. Right. And it was stuff like that all the time. You were able to break through, really, Billy. I mean, you obviously, as you said, you had some chances and some opportunities, but nothing that kind of catapulted you into the public eye like Billy on the street, really. Right. And and I think I was thinking about this. I wonder if the media landscape hadn't changed and you weren't able to do this. Um, I guess you did it on YouTube originally. Right. Yep. And then it was picked up uh, by a streamer. But, you know, do you ever wonder, gosh, if there hadn't been this revolution in media, if disintermediation going direct to consumers without all these gatekeepers and without the people you just described kind of saying go to bravo if if you would have been given an opportunity it's almost like the market gave you the opportunity those executives be damned that's exactly what happened i i mean look 
the internet, social media, our greatest double-edged sword. Right. You know, it'll make you, it'll break you um, uh, sometimes within the same week. But for me, ultimately, I would not have a career without YouTube and originally Facebook, you know, which before Instagram and Twitter and TikTok, there was Facebook and that's where you were posting your videos and people would share your videos um, because that allowed for the democratization of entertainment. And for so many years, even fans of mine, like agents and executives who I knew loved me and thought I was so funny and they would come to my shows voluntarily just as fans, but they would never give me a job. And I, in their minds, it, I, I was too this, I was too that, I was too gay, I was too New York, I was too smart, I was too loud, I was too edgy, all of these, I'm too this and too that, you know. And they were scared because I was new, because I was different and I was bold. And I was unapologetic. Um, and what it took was me putting my own work online. And then, you know, those early Billy on the Street videos, they would get hundreds of thousands of views, then millions of views. And I could look at, I could look at the executives and say, look, this is, this is people, people like me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, they like you know, me. They really like they me. They like me. They really <laughs> like me. And it's not just gay men in Manhattan. Okay. Like these are people watching Billy on the street clips all over the world, straight people, gay people, everyone. It's they're united, not by uh, being part of a particular demographic. They're just united by the fact that they think I'm funny. It's a shared comedic sensibility more than it is anything else. That's all that matters. Funny is funny. People want to laugh. Comedy is subjective. Of course, Billy on the street was never for everyone, but boy, the people that love it, really, really love it. And me now, even years later, the clips are more popular on TikTok than they have ever been before. I mean, there are clips, Billy on the Street clips on TikTok, which have millions and millions of views. I don't even post them. It's fans posting them. And there are probably, there are absolutely kids watching those clips on TikTok who were not born when I first did it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So it's just amazing that, you know, the executives, they put up so many obstacles. They were so scared of me for being different. And yet, even all these years later, Billy on the Street's still more popular than it's ever been and still continues to be the thing that allows a movie like Bros to happen. Did you have a favorite episode? I have a few favorites. I mean, there are so many. Um, I love um, singing Christmas carols with Amy Poehler and people on the street. Sir, do you want to sing Christmas carols with me and Amy Poehler for a dollar? For a dollar? Yes! Here here we go. Take the halls with boughs of holly fall. La 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 la. Yes! Yes! Tis the season to be jolly fall. La la la. Don we now are. A gay apparel! Let's go, Amy! Let's go! No, Amy, let's go! He didn't know! He didn't know! He didn't know! We once took Julianne Moore to Times Square and had her recreate some of her classic monologues to tourists as if she was like Spider-Man, you know, like one of those guys roaming around Times Square. It was really funny. And then I'm not just saying this, Katie, because you're in it, but I promise you I say this to people all the time, um, it wasn't a typical Billy on the street segment, but when we did my version of the Macy's Thanksgiving day parade, but a, a very Billy on the street version of it, 
And you were so gracious to come and be my co-host the way you co-hosted on TV all those years, the real parade. Like all of the balloons you'll see in the parade today, the Rooney Mara balloon stands at a whopping 26 feet tall. That's right, Katie. And you know Todd Haynes directed the film, Carol. He also directed the first film I ever saw gay sex in, and that was called Poison. Happy Turkey Day, Rooney Mara. It is perfect. It is so funny, your delivery. And that really is, I'm not just saying it, it really is one of my favorite ones. But um, well, I love doing it. And I also happened to look really cute that day. So I like watching did. the clip as well. You did, yes. You looked <laughs> I had a little jaunty little driving cap on. <laughs> yes. When we come back, Billy teaches me a thing or two about gay sex. Yeah, that's right after this. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. I want to get back to the film because it's such an important film. It's for so many reasons. It's such a big film for you. And it's a very real and in some ways, um, you know, very honest portrayal of gay relationships, including gay sex. Yeah. I mean, look, sex is part of it. You know, it's part of dating. You know, I I think straight people understand this, too. And (laughs) and look, it's also first and foremost, all the historic stuff aside, you know, we wanted to make an explosively funny movie the way that Judd Apatow has always made movies. You know, they have these big explosive scenes of great physical comedy, you know, in Bridesmaids when they go to the wedding shop. Oh, oh Megan. No, no. Look away. <laughs> Megan, no. Look away. Oh. I love those, like, big, loud, funny scenes, you know, and a- Apatow movies are known for that. The 40-year-old virgin when he's getting his chest wax. and right. And- and forgetting Sarah Marshall, that classic opening scene um, where Jason Siegel is totally naked and having that fight with his girlfriend. You know, it's human and it's real and it's funny. And so that's all we wanted to do, you know, and, and sex gives you so much potential. It's awkward. It's sweet. It's funny. It's romantic. Um, and it can be a little shocking, you know, and this is an R-rated comedy. You know, this is um, this is for adults. And, and I think those scenes are just, honestly, they just felt funny to us. Like our focus was always on what's funny and also what's romantic. And, and what shouldn't, why shouldn't it be in there? I mean, exactly. you know, it's, it's, it's part of relationships. It's part of life yeah. and certainly is in straight comedies, you know, and has been for decades, you know, like gay, gay people, we grow up from the second we're conscious, we're watching love stories and comedies and romantic comedies about men and women. You know, every story is about men and women meeting and dating and falling in love, falling out of love. And, you know, um, and, and I love those stories, obviously. Again, I love all those romantic comedies, but. I thought there was a bit of an homage to when Harry met Sally too, when you're walking around New York and, uh, 
uh, Our Love is Here to Stay is playing in the background. Yes. I was like, that's a little when that, Harry met Sally-ish. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got our nods to those romantic comedies I love in there when Harry met Sally and uh, there's a scene with You've Got Mail that we right. nod to. And also, I should say, Mark Shaman, who wrote the music for Bros, who's the greatest. He, I mean, how magical is that? Mark wrote the score for When Harry Met Sally and he wrote the score for Bros, you know. and I love uh, Mark. Yeah, Mark's amazing. And the music is so important. Every rom-com needs a great score and a great theme song. And we were so lucky to have Mark. And so, yeah, I mean, Bros really is a really fun mix of things that are kind of more current and fun and shocking and things you've never seen before mixed with those timeless, classic rom-com elements that we all love. You know, we were really going for that balance. I woke up laughing about you so rudely calling me out on my shit. Well, you deserved it, bitch. Honestly, I was impressed. You may be more emotionally unavailable than I am. Well, maybe we can be emotionally unavailable together. Maybe we can be emotionally unavailable together. Who's writing your texts, Maroon 5? Fuck off. Kidding. We can go out. Are you asking me out? I'm down for whatever. Yeah, same. Cool. Sounds good. So, tomorrow? Or we can do whenever. Yeah, I can do whenever and I can do whatever. I don't care what we do. Yeah, me neither. We can do whatever and we can do it whenever. Does that work for you? Yeah, that definitely works. Great. Whatever, whenever. Cool. Whatever, whenever. GIF of Michael Scott dancing. That's good. Office GIF? This person isn't gay. How much pressure are you feeling and how are you managing it? Because you want it to do well. This needs to attract a mainstream audience. You need to get, what do you call it, butts in the seats. Tell me a little bit about how you're feeling about that and the importance of this being successful. Of course, I want people to see it. The truth is, we really need straight people to go see it. And that's very blunt. But that's the honest truth. And, and, and if you go, you're going to laugh your ass off. It is a hilarious movie. It's super relatable no matter who you are. And like I said, we wanted to make a great laugh out loud Judd Apatow comedy like Bridesmaids, like 40-Year-Old Virgin, like Knocked Up, like Trainwreck. It happens to be about a gay couple. It happens to have an LGBTQ cast, which is important, you know, because we should be able to tell our stories too, you know. LGBTQ folks, we've been going to see movie, romantic comedies about straight people forever. So why shouldn't it work in the reverse? It took us a really long time to get here. And I want everyone to go, straight people, LGBTQ folks, for a number of reasons. I want to entertain people and give them a feel-good movie. I want to show the industry and the world that people, especially straight people, will go out and support a movie about two funny gay guys. Um, and, and I also want to make sure that there are more LGBTQ films that follow this and also that major studios, straight or gay, don't stop making comedies and romantic comedies because this is an important genre. It's a genre we all love. And if we don't go support them, we won't get more movies like this. And really, all we will get are superhero movies and action movies and horror films. And those are all great, but these are equally great and equally necessary. And, you know... Brokeback Mountain, right? So many of the movies we have gotten about gay men and LGBTQ folks, they're tragedies. They're sad. And it's about tortured characters. And it's a period piece about how about our struggles and our challenges and, and how tortured and sad we are, right? And yes, that is part of our history. That is part of our experience. And it's 
We need those movies too. But it's so, for so long, all we've gotten, right? And all that the public has embraced. And why can't we also star in a great comedy? You know, like why, why does it always have to be so tortured and tragic? Um, and so I, there are many reasons I, I hope people get out and support this. And I really think they'll have a great time. And a movie like Brokeback Mountain, you know, it's a masterpiece. I've seen it once. Pretty Woman, I've seen 50 times. So who's to say what's more important? You know, rom-coms are, are important too. I'm just curious from a, both from a professional and a personal standpoint, you know, how did this all impact you, this whole experience, no matter what happens at the box office? Yeah, I, I mean, in so many ways, I, I, I think that a lot of times in life, our biggest learning experiences come from things that maybe fail creatively. Um, and this is a strange one where, I mean, again, we'll see what happens. Um, but uh, from early reactions and from my own reaction to it, I, I don't think we failed creatively. I'm really, really proud of the movie. And also, it has been a huge learning experience in a very practical way. I learned how to write a movie. I learned how to navigate a, a, a pretty high level major studio experience, you know, and which would always be challenging. And, and, and I had to do it while making an R-rated gay rom-com when there have not been many. Um, and so I, I learned a lot just in terms of the, on the business side of things. And I don't know, taking a bird's eye view, look at it, regardless of what happens, it's, I think, I'd like to think of it in a way, me getting this experience, and I'm, I'm so grateful that they trusted me with it, but maybe on some level, it's a reward for always wanting success, but really wanting it and almost insisting upon having it on my own terms as an openly gay man in, in comedy, um, which when I was starting out, there were a lot of barriers to that. As much as I believed in myself, you have those moments because people are telling you, oh, there's going to be a ceiling for what you can do. You know, and bros is an example, just just real tangible evidence that, you know what, they were wrong. They were wrong. And I, and I say that in the movie, but um, anyone out there who, you know, is having that self-doubt, we all have it, but you got to push through. And that's what you've always done. That's what I, you've I always, have always done. done that. And, and sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't. But I have always chosen, ultimately, even with all the self-doubt, to believe in myself and that talent would be enough. That if you, if you don't think I'm talented, that's one thing. If you don't think I'm funny enough, that's one thing. And I can deal with that. But don't tell me I can't have what I want or make what I want because of who I sleep with or who I'm attracted to. That's just nonsense. And, you know, so I, I'm really proud of this movie. Well, I'm very excited for you. And, um, and, and, and not to sound too maternal, but I'm really proud of you, Billy. And I have been a fan of yours for a very long time. And I'm just so excited for you to get this new opportunity and for, to continue to watch what you'll do next. So Thank the movie you. is bros. It's terrific. You're hilarious. And Thanks. the whole cast and crew, I want to congratulate them too, because, yeah. you know, I think the only way you usher in change is to put your money where your mouth is. And you certainly did this when it came to, 
to staffing this film and you yep. put a lot of thought into that too. So kudos to you for that as well. Thank you. And you've always been so supportive. You're a legend. So thank you so much. Bros is in theater starting this weekend, September 30th. So go get your butts in those theater seats, everyone, for Billy's sake. Next Question with Katie Couric is a production of iHeartMedia and Katie Couric Media. The executive producers are me, Katie Couric, and Courtney Litz. The supervising producer is Lauren Hansen, associate producers Derek Clements and Adriana Fazio. The show is edited and mixed by Derek Clements. For more information about today's episode or to sign up for my morning newsletter, Wake Up Call, go to katiecouric.com. You can also find me at Katie Couric on Instagram and all my social media channels. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.